This is the Kevin Smith Show on Global Star Communications Network. And good evening, good morning, wherever you happen to be all around the earth, whoever you happen to be. Thanks for joining us here at the Kevin Smith Show. If it's your very first time to listen to the show, a special welcome to you. I'm delighted you're here, and I hope you make a habit out of this. It's a good habit to get into. It really, really is. Um, we get email, lots of email, and I really enjoy reading it. I'm not joking, folks. I'm telling you the truth. I read all of the email that comes in. I respond to as much of it as I can. And I want you to know that I do appreciate it. I do find it very interesting and stimulating and sometimes very educating. And uh, I want to give you our email address. Some of you know and you you write to me frequently. That's a good thing. Some of you don't know our email address. And uh, I want to give it to you. It is host at kevinsmithshow.com. And in the subject line, put the words listener comment, okay? And if you forget all of that, look, the easy way to do it, go over to the website, kevinsmithshow.com, and uh, you, when you're there on the website, just click where it says contact us, and it'll bring up a page. It'll take care of all of the addressing and everything for you, okay? So send me an email. Let me know that you're listening and what you think. You like it, you don't like it, you want someone uh, specific to be invited to be a guest, I do pay attention to those. And uh, many, many of you know that you have suggested guests and that, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I, I can't get them like tomorrow because there's some scheduling to work out with them, but we do get them. My guest tonight, as a matter of fact, is uh, someone who was suggested to me by one of you, our listeners. So uh, send me that email, okay? While you're over there at the Kevin Smith Show website, be sure, if you have not already subscribed to the K-Files e-zine, that's our free weekly newsletter, be sure you do that. It's free and only takes about 20 seconds to subscribe. And then you will not be the only person who does not know. That's a good thing, huh? All right. My guest tonight is going to be Alan Watt. Alan Watt has questioned standard versions of history and has delved into ancient civilizations and the occult groups which managed them. Since 1998, Alan has come forward to share his knowledge, beginning with the Sweet Liberty Radio program on International Shortwave. This uh, shortwave broadcast ended in 2005. But he continues broadcasting on First Amendment Internet Radio every Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, he's going to join us here in, uh, in, in just a couple of minutes after we come back from our first break. And we're going to be talking with him tonight about the influence of these occult groups from ancient times. We'll be talking about how they managed the ancient civilizations and to what end and uh, what impact perhaps that has in our day and upon our lives. Again, that's Alan Watt, and uh, he's got a website called Cutting Through the Matrix, and you want to be sure and check that out as well, okay? So go on over to kevinsmithshow.com and uh, sign up for the K-Files and send me an email to 
We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Kevin Smith Show. My guest this evening, as I told you, is uh, Alan Watt. And uh, Alan has uh, just finished. I, I want to tell you, I, this is... I really appreciate what he's doing. He has just finished another interview and went right straight from that here to talk with you. So, Alan, thank you, and welcome to the Kevin Smith Show. It's a pleasure. Alan, um, you you have kind of a... Um, I don't want to say it's a strange view of the world, it's not that it's strange, but it's that you have a view that is different from the mainstream, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's quite a bit different. And one of the things that I noticed, I listened to an interview uh, that you had on uh, Coast to Coast, mm-hmm. and and one of the things that I noticed is that you know it, it, this thought came to my mind: you can be in a situation where, uh, and, and people certainly have been in a situation like this in various places around the world, where uh, you, you don't see anything, but and, and maybe you don't smell anything, but all of a sudden your body begins to react to something that's in the air, poison gas, for instance. Um, and, and so, you know, at first you, 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 know, you start saying, well, you know, I can't see, my vision is blurred, and then, well, I feel funny, and then, you know, but still, you don't see, and you don't smell anything, you didn't hear anything, but it starts to have an effect on you. And a lot of people around the world right now are sort of in that situation. They they really don't see something, and they they haven't heard, and they don't smell anything, but lots of people are beginning to sense something's up. Oh, yes. And, yeah, uh, something definitely is up. Uh, it's uh, almost a hush before the storm. It's, there's a hush of expectation. And there's been such a, a hype, mind you, of, of, I call it, terror creation uh, in the people's minds uh, to get them into something so that they will react and go the way they're planned to go. Uh, that's generally why fear and terror is used um, by from the top down that that is standard down through the ages it, it brings into mind actually um, Professor Carol Quigley who was uh, the historian for the Council on Foreign Relations and he was in the record keeping department or histories and he was updating their histories for them and filing them and from that he wrote a book uh, called The Anglo-American Establishment and he talks about how the Council on Foreign Relations, the British uh, set, in, in British Commonwealth countries, they're called Institutes of International Affairs. And every Commonwealth country, including Canada, has one. Non-Commonwealth countries have Council and Foreign Relations. India has one, too. Hmm. And, uh, and Pakistan. And um, he talks about how the government hyped up the British public for three or four years prior to World War II uh, to get them uh, all sort of ready for the war and they had board meetings with the the big uh, newspaper corporations of of London 
uh, who, all, who were all members of the Royal Institute of International Affairs, and they agreed uh, to panic the people by putting out false data, propaganda, on an, an, an increasing drumbeat uh, right up for two or three years on the go. Uh, and, and they told them nothing but lies, and, and Quigley, who has their records, uh, talks about this, this being discussed at the round tables in London with the Royal Institute of International Affairs, and they agreed to, to constantly tell the people in all the newspapers that Hitler had all this gas ready to gas everybody in Britain. And they had, oh, millions of tons of it. And sure enough, they, they gave everybody a gas mask, and children had them, and they made that practice rehearsals in school and putting them on, something like they did during the Cold War, children get under the table. It was to keep it fresh in your memory. And... Um, and then, and then, of course, they even asked King George to make a speech to, to the public to tell them to start like, digging trenches in major cities. This is so it would seem more visual to them. The trenches would be of no, no use at all, of course, in an air raid. Um, but they, they kept up this hype and fear, and they even started evacuating children up into Scotland from the major cities. And again, uh, at that time, the, the war was still three years away. And, uh, and it, it split the families up and made it seem all so real so that by the time with all this hype oh you're going to get gassed at any minute um, that they put, that when they eventually said we're going to war with Germany the people who were so tensed up and panicked uh, breathed a sigh of relief yeah, and that is yeah. how psychological warfare works on entire populations but this I've isn't something new though is it? Pardon? This is not something new, though, is it? It's a standard technique. Been going on actually for millennia. Oh yes, uh huh. Yeah, yeah. And uh, now that's something that that uh, I really was interested in as I was listening to your interview, and also I went to your website and and I read some things you have on your website. Um, it's called um, Cutting Through the Matrix, right? Mm-hmm. CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Um, but what really kind of piqued my interest was the fact that this is not new. It's been going on for millennia. And you talk about how the ancient civilizations were manipulated by occult managers. Oh, yeah. And could you can you kind of take us back in time and, and give us a little bit of a... Uh, history lesson about that. What, what do you mean when you say that they were managed by these occult people? Well, I, I think the masters of it, uh, who left more records of the techniques, uh, were the Egyptians and the Greeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, Egypt uh, took every pharaoh, for instance, and trained him in the art of government, the sciences of government, they called it, and um, and, and to the mysteries of government these were the hidden sciences of basically human mass psychology and um, interestingly enough later the Greek nobility such as Plato and and Democritus and all the big boys Socrates Pythagoras they all were sent to to Egypt to enter the mysteries it would take them 22 years there generally to to, to learn all the mysteries and then they were sent back to their own countries. Sometimes they had to move on. Plato went to the mysteries there. 
he was then sent to the mystery school in Palestine and then to one in India and then back to Greece so this is a lot of learning and, and, and what was the purpose for that? well what they learned when you look at what came out of Egypt was revolution because from the days of even Pythagoras who studied there and uh, he, he was sent back to the Grecian colonies and they had a big empire at that time and he was sent to Crotona where he set up a mystery school the standard mystery school these mystery schools had so much in common with the later Catholic monasteries it, it's quite amazing because and you see it 2,000 years ago in, in, uh, in Palestine where, where the Essenes were they're, they're all the same really with their techniques Pythagoras would, would recruit young uh, aristocratic students uh, he actually took in male and female separate quarters of course but they'd have five years of silence that was standard and they had to watch look and listen and uh, eventually some of them were picked to go higher um, some of the the, uh, the young ladies were trained in a tremendous, with a tremendous education to be, be good marginal partners for the nobility and then they were basically taken out and introduced to higher members of existing the existing powers existing establishments and the whole idea was to start swaying decisions made uh, in those governments and when this was found out what it was really all about the form of revolution uh, they turned on Pythagoras and burned down his school and chased him off and it's undecided whether he was killed or not but uh, that was the same thing that happened ultimately to Socrates now Socrates who'd also been trained in Egypt and said a lot of wise things as they all have very wise sayings um, he was accused of, of corrupting the youth and what they really meant was he was doing the same thing as Pythagoras he, he was uh, recruiting young nobility and training them in a new way of living uh, you might call it a new world order of the time and, uh, and, and, and training them up to revolutionaries and also to enter governments and take over those governments and then take a particular agenda forward which was to create wars upon other countries and take them over one by one into world empire well, who was behind that? I mean, you've got Socrates and Pythagoras and Plato and all those guys yeah. being sent to these mm -hmm. to study these mysteries. Yeah. Who is behind it? Who sent them? They were sent by by the masters back in Egypt. Egypt exported revolution. That's what it exported, and all the ones who came there to be initiated were being trained to go back to their their, their former countries set up these schools in preparation for revolution and Plato wrote about it uh, and, and Plato actually was chased off too he disappeared for years after his teacher Socrates had to drink the hemlock and um, so he disappeared and eventually came back and repented and started up his school but he was no sooner there than he was starting the same old thing all over again and, uh, and Plato wrote the book called The Republic right and the Republic, of course, was about a, a future utopia to come. Uh, a, a utopia where an intelligentsia, uh, they called it a natural aristocracy, would rule. Uh, uh, almost a scientific 
that the top of them would be the guardians, a guardian class, uh, the guardians of the world mm-hmm. and the guardians of the system. And Plato said, he said, you know, man is infinitely malleable. Uh, he, he can adapt to anything so quickly. And because of that ability, uh, man could be made to adapt to a series of adaptations leading to a perfect new type of creature. And he said, he said, we already have uh, domesticated animals for uh, thousands of years. And if we want a small domesticated dog, he says, we create one by, by selective breeding. If we want the same thing, uh, to get a big dog, we, we again select the dogs, interbreed them and interbreed them till we get the perfect dog. He said, humans are the same. We can do the same with humans and create really tall, long ones if we wanted people to pick apples. Or short, uh, not too bright ones, who wouldn't, because they don't want people to rebel, of course. So make short ones for mining and doing all the heavy work and labor. And when you realize what he was talking about was a science that he was not inventing or discovering, he was simply repeating what they already knew in Egypt for thousands of years and had been doing. What's interesting about what you're saying here is that it sounds very much like what the ancient Sumerians said about the Anunnaki. Are you familiar with that? Not really. The Anunnaki has nothing to do with what people have recently been flooded with. Well, uh, what they said was the Anunnaki uh, did genetic engineering for the purpose of creating a race to do gold mining and to do the hard labor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that, that really is a spin, a big spin, on an interpretation that only one man ever took, and it's his own interpretation which doesn't stand up uh, with other experts on, on linguistics. So you don't think that this finds its origins in... No, in, in, and in I'll tell you why. Sumerian. I mean, Anu in, in, in Babylonian and in uh, Sumerian and in Egyptian, Anu, and it's still taught today in the higher mystery schools, Anu was always a, a spirit. It's the Anu who guides you through the Book of the Dead, through, through the, the underworld. It's the Anu who does it. You call up the Anu, and every every doorway in Freemasonry has its Anu and, and, and its, its passwords. It's the same thing. And so the whole it's not, thing, a, not a literal being, then? No. No, they, 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 in fact, the Sumerians had the exact same story, really, as the Egyptians, where um, uh, Earth met sky, and out of sky came Uranus and so on, different gods. And, and these, are, these have nothing to do with uh, real people. Uh, when you look at kingships and the system, they will always give you a hierarchy of mortal beings uh, modeled after a heavenly body sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So you have the multitude of the stars, the holy, the, the, that's the holy uh, host, is the multitude of stars, and then you have your main ones, the planets, and those are sections or hierarchies of priesthoods which deal with specific things coming downwards in a V-shape, um, an upside-down pyramid, uh, to, to meet on the earth plane, then you have the upgoing pyramid meeting at the apex, and that's where the king is. And then you have the descending order of nobility, courtiers, no, um, uh, military, all the way down to the masses who are again the earthly host. 
This mm-hmm. is so they always justified it with the what they call foundation myths, and and that's how they justified their 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 control system. Now, that in, was standard. in that model, mm-hmm. um, do we still have groups that are promoting that model? Oh yes, it's still the same today. I watched. The, I can remember watching when I was small the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II, uh, mm-hmm. and it, it was astounding to watch because you, 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 this was held in Westminster Abbey, an old middle-aged cathedral, and in Westminster Abbey you have tombs of, of knights of the Norman knights that came in in, in about the 11th century. And the, the Norman nobility are still the nobility today, all over Europe. And uh, near where the, the queen was being coronated, uh, there's a couple of, of, of a man and his wife. He's dressed up as a knight, laying flat, of course, on, on top of the sarcophagus. And next to him, uh, for the, on the whole wall, from the from the, the floor to the ceiling, you'll see a chessboard, which is a tesserated floor of, of Freemasonry, on the wall. And next, on either side of it, there's an obelisk, an Egyptian obelisk. And then there's three tiers. There's two tiers above that with another uh, four obelisks, Egyptian obelisks above that. And this is inside a supposed Christian church. And um, uh, and then when the queen was being coronated, uh, she's raised up on a, a raised uh, dais, like a, a, a ziggurat, is a step pyramid. Um and her throne is there and then you have all these, these lords all the nobility and cousins and relatives and the lords wear traditionally a red uh, outfit that used to be a, a, a kind of gown mm-hmm. with an airman uh, collar on it airman is, is the symbol of royalty in Britain and in Europe now the airman fur you'll see on the depictions going far, as far back as Nimrod Nimrod wore the same thing, airman fur, with, with a red outfit. Mm-hmm. And, and so you're watching this being reenacted thousands and thousands of years later in Westminster Abbey, and then the Queen is handed the same symbols, the scepter, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the staff. And uh, um, the guy in front of her, uh, he holds the crook, the archbishop. And, and of course, you see an Egyptian... Um, Petroglyphs. You'll see the uh, and on your coffins, you'll see that the pharaoh has his arms crossed, and he holds the rod in one hand, which is really a mace, and on the other hand is the small staff. And uh, that that's the staff or the crook of the shepherd. He was the good shepherd, because all all these leaders down through history were called good shepherds. And what you did was cajole the sheep to come this way by pulling them with the hooked end of the crook. And if it didn't come, you hit them with the staff. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That's in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So here's this odd thing from that was used uh, 5000 BC, being reenacted in Westminster Cathedral in the 20th century. And everybody who was present stood exactly in the right positions, as you'll see on the various uh, uh, carvings of Nimrod being inaugurated. And no one asks why. Why? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to ask why, uh, but uh, 
we're, we're headed into a break, and uh, we'll hold that thought for when we come back from the break. But very quickly, let me ask you this. Isn't it true that in the ancient world, in the ancient civilizations, uh, the religion was divided? There was one religion for the nobility, the elite, and another for the peons. Absolutely. Absolutely. When we come back from this break, I'd like to get into that. I'd like for you to explain the why of the symbolism and, and everyone standing in their correct place, and also why two religions, and does that still exist? So uh, if you'll ponder that for a bit, we'll, uh, we'll get you to answer, the, answer that for us when we come back. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest is Alan Watt. We will open the telephone line for you later. You want to be sure to stay tuned and hear what's coming up. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the Kevin Smith Show. My guest is Alan Watt. Alan, uh, before we went to break, uh, we were talking. You were talking about uh, the, um, the the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II and everybody standing in their proper place, just as it had been in antiquity, and you said, and nobody stops to ask why. So what what is the answer to that? Why? They don't ask, actually, because the public uh, asks very little, unfortunately. Um, some children might ask the, the whys, and the parents can't give them the answers because they don't know how old this tradition is. They assume that it's simply uh, a Middle-Age Norman creation, and they, they don't know the tie-ins to, to the ancient uh, Babylonian, Sumerian-type system. Uh, but once you've studied them, it's, it's so apparent. And, and, and I have been in Westminster Cathedral, too, and looked at these incredible... Uh, the, the knights there with, as I say, the Egyptian obelisks inside this Christian cathedral. And uh, then, of course, you're onto a hunt as to find out why they're there. Uh-huh. And uh, to find out more about these Normans that brought that system with them. Uh, who were the Normans, uh, for instance, uh, to bring in Egyptian obelisks in, into a place like England? And, of course, there's so much more behind the Normans than meets the eye. Well, what was uh, the reason that they they brought in an Egyptian system? Well, the Normans are strange people who just sort of popped up in the north of France and supposedly had a connection with, with the, the Scandinavian countries and used the Scandinavian countries to come down into England from, at least from one direction, while they, they had an onslaught through Europe taken over Europe uh, on the scale of, bigger than the scale of World War II actually, with logistical supply lines going right back to their little country in, in, in uh, France. Um, they, they, they had huge forts built, uh, massive forts, pre-built, prefabricated, and they towed them across the English Channel and assembled them, hundreds of these things. And it, so, so the supply lines stretched all the way back to, to the north of France and no one's ever, ever said, where did all this money come from? Mm-hmm. To hire tens of thousands of workers, to, to hire such massive armies, while the nobility themselves, the Norman nobility, uh, came in with all of these strange uh, 
Middle Eastern uh, courts of arms. Um, it's never been discussed by the historians as to, as to why. Where did all this backing come from? Where did the expertise come from to begin a war like that, knowing where it wanted to go, and having the financial backing and the military logistical expertise to carry it out? Have you been able to determine the story? Have yeah. you been able to determine where it came from? Well, yeah, I, I think in, in, in part ways. Um, when you look at the standards that they had for, for nobility, now most people will say, well, you know, they copied the standards around the times of uh, the Crusades, and, 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 and but we're talking about just before the Crusades came in, uh, the Normans came in with these banners, their own family crests. Um, we see some of them up around the Black Sea area prior to that uh, where people lived mm-hmm. and a nobility lived uh, Herodotus mentions them in his writings around 300 BC and uh, later on we, we see them coming to prominence uh, and being called the Khazars by, by um, uh, a man who wrote the 13th tribe uh, after Kessler or Kostler and he goes into the history of the, the 13th tribe. Um, they adopted Judaism around the, 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 the 7th century AD. But there was, a, there was two groups of them. One of them, the public seldom saw. They were called uh, the Kagans. They were the nobility of this group. And it's, it's possible that these were actually a people, a nobility that came out of Egypt itself. Uh, and very possibly around the time of Akhenaten and uh, because the only symbol that the Gazars had according to Maimonides who's one of the top historians of, of the era he lived in Spain and he helped bring Judaism to them when the king asked but um, he uh, he said that the that the, the Khazars or, or, the, or the Kagans the kings were of a red or blonde con- con- uh, complexion and they had uh, blue or green eyes and they did not mix with the rest of the people the ordinary people around them uh, but they had these same types of standards that we eventually became known in Normandy uh, uh, in the Norman uh, country and then came into England with so there's definitely a tie in there and, and they were a very powerful people a very, very powerful people. They've helped the Christian church many times. In fact, they saved the Christian, the, the Vatican, when the Moors were sweeping across. It was, it was the Khazars with their massive military. They had, they had the, the biggest mounted cavalry uh, in the world at that time. And they prevented the Moors from, from taking over uh, uh, what was left of the Vatican lands at that time. Isn't it interesting that uh, uh, people who had the uh, largest, most powerful uh, cavalry at the time, mm-hmm. and yet there's still so little known about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know possible? that some of them became popes because they intermarried with uh, the, the empire, the emperor's daughters, and so on. And Pope Leo the Caesar, that was his name in the history books. He was one, he was one of the first ones. Uh, other ones moved on through Europe, the nobility, the knighted nobility, they disappear from the scene around the 8th, 9th century 
and then you have these people that are they're now calling Normans popping up in the north of France, creating this brand new country, and they're no sooner there than they're, they're creating a war. Uh, the country, Britain was only taken over in 1066 by them, and with about 40 years they had recruited so many people there, as they had in all countries which they took over, and, and they took them back to the Holy Land to, to, to get Jerusalem. And they kept these uh, crusades up for a few hundred years. So the crusades so they, they, they were... They know where they were going, yeah. So the crusades were engineered by the Khazars? It would seem so, or, or these people who, who at least we know called themselves Normans, that, that is for sure. That is for sure. Okay, let's let's go back to Egypt now, because uh, you were you were saying that all this began when the masters in Egypt, uh, in essence, recruited people like Plato, Socrates, uh, Pythagoras, and etc. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who are those masters? The, the, the Egyptian masters themselves always give you a story of being gods. That's traditional. Uh, even King James, the King James Bible made some quite uh, <laughs> profound speeches where he said that he represented God and uh, that was traditional um, the higher nobility all claimed descendancies from from God but that's really to fix it in the people's mind that they are a different people than you and, and they deserve to be above you that that's how the God thing works you see so, uh, however we also know that they do intensely inbreed always have done partially to keep the power and the wealth in their own hands but also because they've always believed from ancient Egypt down through Greece and onwards that um, um, you breed for intellect and since they, they thought they were the highest of the intellectual species uh, they bred with each other as a matter of fact uh, Queen Elizabeth is married to a distant cousin yes he is they did in fact, the present monarchy of, of uh, England has so many fascinating stories attached to it, because uh, um, really they came from Prussia and Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Prince Philip, uh, uh, his father had taken over a, a, a vacant throne that came up in Greece, and uh, uh, so he was Prussian, really, and they took it over, and then eventually the Greeks threw them out and he came to to England but they're all Prussian German yeah mm-hmm. uh, and what they used to be called was uh, uh, interesting even Adam Weishaupt uh, who's, who popped his head up as part and the only part I stress of the Illuminati um, and again revolution once again when he went for refuge after being found out he was kept in refuge and two of the, the landed estates, the princedoms of Germany, by the Sachs and Coburgs. Now, why would royalty that you think Adam want, uh, Weishaupt was going to overthrow, why would royalty put him up, give him a lifelong pension and security? Uh, why would royalty do that? I don't know. And then you find the present Queen of England. Their, their true name is Sachs, Coburg, Gotha. The same ones. That is their their true family name? Yes, uh-huh. Yeah. I had never heard that. 
I yeah, did know that, uh, it up, uh-huh. I did know that Queen Elizabeth, uh, her great grandmother is the great grandmother of Prince Philip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I knew that, but I didn't know the family name. Mm-hmm. Say it again. It, it's Sachs, which is S A X E, and that was one of their princedoms for their family. Another part of the family set up another castle, so they called it uh, Coburg, and and then they set up another place and they called that Gotha. So so the family's name is Sachs Coburg Gotha. That's a real name. Huh. So and, and, and yeah, it's uh, the the um, the monarchy is not actually of British descent. That's just it. Uh, when you look at the monarchy and the nobility and the aristocracy of Europe, that who are all descended from the Normans, none of them ever intermarried with the people they ruled over. So how far back does this bloodline go? Uh, they'll go back, I'm sure, to to the to the. Well, actually, there's two different stories on that. Depends on, on who you take. Mm-hmm. I know that um, some of them like to believe they go back to to David. Um, you'll find that Prince Charles, in one speech. He gave. He said that he could trace his, back, his lineage back to Noah, <laughs> oh. which, of course, had to be a very high Masonic joke because they all know what Noah means. But uh, um, on the other hand, uh, many of these these German monarchs bought uh, their monarchies uh, around the 1600s, so it's difficult to tell if these were some mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned they all know what Noah means. What does it mean? Well, Noah is a. Uh, it's not really just a person. It's a, a system uh, of of those who come between ages, uh-huh. and it's to do it's to do with uh, special inbreeding once again uh, for select qualities. Mm-hmm. When you read uh, the Old Testament version. And every Masonic Lodge has that book there, you know, mm-hmm. because it contains the rules, their rules, in the esoteric form. But you have, um, the only re- reason that no one in his family were saved, it said, be- was because of his, uh, he was perfect in all his generations, meaning yeah. he'd never outmarried, he'd always in married mm-hmm. into, into the same one. Yeah, it was a bloodline perfection. Okay, um, we have to take a break. We'll be back in just a moment with my guest, Alan Watt, and um, we're getting into what is behind uh, the managers of ancient civilizations. What importance does it have and impact does it have upon us, if any? We'll be back in just a moment. Don't go away. You are listening to The Kevin Smith Show, the number one talk show choice of many galaxies. And I am glad you're listening to The Kevin Smith Show. Uh, My guest is Alan Watt. Tomorrow night, my guest, by the way, will be Robbie Thomas. He's been with us before, and this time... 
you know, he is a psychic medium. And this time, we're going to be talking about dream interpretation. So you want to be sure and join me and Robbie Thomas right here uh, tomorrow night. Alan, uh, how uh, the, these these ancient? I mean, when we talk about this being ancient, we're we're talking about this going back way back into the antiquity of Egypt. Does it go back? Be, yeah. Does it go back beyond that? Yeah, we know that Egypt, uh, according to the standard Egyptologists today, they'll, they'll they'll talk about Egypt as being they can trace it beginning around 5000 BC. But we also know uh, that uh, there were people moving in from the south uh, much earlier than that. Actually, 10,000 BC, there were people moving up that way. And in fact, the Sahara desert wasn't a desert then; it was, it was full of jungle, and they found uh, elephants, skeletons under the sand, and tigers, anima, uh, lions, etc. And uh, even ancient uh, stumps of trees, petrified trees. Yeah, but so, what about this? Uh, what about this mystery system? Does it go back beyond Egypt? Oh yeah, I mean the mysteries. When when Solon, I mean we get most of it from from the writings again of Plato and Plato talked about uh, a, 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 an ancestor of his who'd left him uh, the story of Atlantis of course Okay. and and so this this uh, distant relative had gone gone to Egypt maybe a hundred and twenty years before Plato and, and uh, he was discussing with the high priest that how old man was and the priest said to Solon, this relative, he said, uh, he said, you don't know how old you are, you Greeks. You know, he says, uh, many, he says, many, many, countless uh, civilizations have risen and fallen, uh, risen to great heights and then fallen um, over many, many thousands of years. So man is far, far older uh, than we have been given with the, with the, the Darwin stuff, you know, far mm -hmm. far older. And, and again, he wasn't much different than we we are today. Uh, the craniums they're, they're finding, etc., are pretty well the same size. And um, uh, I think Darwin offset a, a lot of the historical research. He he, he basically waylaid it to an extent by getting a, a philosophy across. But uh, when you go into the the histories of Greece, where they claimed that there was a catastrophe at one time on the planet, where it was possible that a huge meteorite had, had struck. Um, he said that the elite lived and survived inside Mount Parnassus, and where they had food stored and, and water for, for a long time. And the same story is repeated in the histories of uh, the Hindus, who claim they have records of five previous times or ages. We, we say ages to sort of put in, into figures we can understand, sort of time zones of 25,000 years or more. Actually, it's millions in, in, in the Hindu system. And then we have the, the likes of uh, Tacitus, who was the, the royal historian for Nero, who got the Druid story where they had a record of three previous ages. 
Now, all of them can say the same thing. Armenia is another one uh, where we get the biblical story of the ark. I think it's anything to do with the ark. That's a Masonic uh, thing. The ark is the sun as it goes across the sky. That's the covenant. And uh, uh, but, but you'll find that the mountain it came, supposedly came down on is actually full of tunnels, ancient tunnels. And the, the Armenians who lived at the bottom of it say that that's where the elite survived. Uh, a previous catastrophe so the Druids did the same thing in the mountains of, of Britain the Greeks went into Mount Parnassus and then the, the, the northern Indians went to, into the, to the mountains of the north of India the Brahmins and the Brahmins there today still say that they are the survivors of the previous man from a previous age so definitely the world has gone through previous ages uh, which always leaves it wide open to either was it natural uh, phenomena or was it caused by man in advanced technology that's always the the big question and, and authors make uh, a killing at this this whole speculation here well, but we do uh, yeah, know that uh, the Egyptians around uh, 2000 BC had uh, records and the Babylonians had records where Egypt had called in all the wise men from all over, including Babylon, to reset the calendar because something had happened and now they had a few more days added to the calendar. The old calendar was 360 days. The, the degrees in the circle, that's where the degree system comes from. And they had to add days to it because the Earth is now revolving slower after some kind of huge meteor hit, hit and we know that, that the huge meteors have hit yes. in different parts of the planet mm -hmm. now if a meteor was to come down you certainly would have tremendous heat if it was a huge one and you would have uh, tremendous fire as this hit the sky with almost atomic explosions you'd have fire which would melt the, the pole caps and and then it would be followed by massive water collection going up into the sky and then you'd have rain so fire followed by water that's part of the mystical uh, answer to that mm -hmm. fire and water because all of those peoples give the same story of, of the, the atmosphere went on fire followed by tremendous rain water well I guess what I'm getting at uh, in, in, in my question is do we know if this uh, system, the, this mystery system that got exported uh, through uh, Pythagoras and Plato, etc., uh, does it have its origins in Egypt, or did they get it somewhere else? Uh, the Egyptians uh, had to have gotten it from from a previous time. Okay. Uh, the, the, it's, it's no different from Sumer. Uh, Sumer did not start with uh, some walking reptiles it's, it's a good story but, but uh, um, they, they had to convince the public and this is traditional you convince the public that they are a lesser inferior type and that the royalty are a superior type they've got more of the genes of the gods that was standard and what they said they were all, they always say they were offsprings of the gods mm -hmm. and uh, and then the public think well we're an inferior type made to be a slave and if you look into the prayers of the, the bureaucracies, the, the bureaucratic classes, the priesthoods, who were bureaucrats in Sumer, you find that they had prayers to the god. 
and and the God was the invisible God of the of the heaven. All right, we'll be back in about a minute, folks. It's time for our uh, top of the hour ID break.